ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له اشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله صلوات الله وسلامه عليه اما بعد يا ايها الذين امنوا اتقوا الله حق تقاته ولا تموتن الا وانتم مسلمون يا ايها الناس اتقوا ربكم الذي خلقكم من نفس واحده وخلق منها زوجها وبث منهما رجالا كثيرا ونساء واتقوا الله الذي تساءلون به والارham ان الله كان عليكم رقيبا يا ايها الذين امنوا اتقوا الله وقولوا قولا سديدا يصلح لكم اعمالكم ويغفر لكم ذنوبكم ومن يطع الله ورسوله فقد فاز فوزا عظيما اما بعد فان اصدق الحديث كتاب الله واحسن الهدي هدي محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وشر الامور محدثاتها وكل محدثه بدعه وكل بدعه ضلاله وكل ضلاله في النار ثم اما بعد الحمد لله على نعمه الاسلام والسنه all praise and thanks belong to Allah for guiding us to Islam and for guiding us to the sunnah حدثني جماعه من الشيوخ باسناد كل الى سفيان بن عيينه عن امر بن دينار عن ابي قابوس مولى عبد الله بن عمر عن عبد الله بن عمرو بن عاص رضي الله تعالى عنهما عن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم انه قال الراحمون يرحمهم الرحمن ارحموا من في الارض يرحمكم من في السماء a number of scholars they have mentioned and this hadith is a hadith hadith musalsal bil awwaliyah is a hadith that many of the imams of the past they will teach their students this hadith and it will be the first hadith in which they will teach the students and that is the statement of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam that those who show mercy then they will be shown mercy by the most merciful be merciful to those who are in the earth and the one who is above the heavens will show you mercy the ulama they explain and they mention that from the wisdoms in teaching this hadith is because ilm al ilm ilm rahma because knowledge is mercy natijatuhu rahma fi dunya wa ghayatuhu rahma fi al akhirah the result of knowledge then it is mercy here in this dunya and the ultimate goal of knowledge in the hereafter then it is mercy the ultimate goal of knowledge in the hereafter then it is mercy 
We continue going over the tremendous book by the Fadil to Shaykh Al Imam Al Alama, Imam Al Nawi, Rahimahullah Ta'ala. That book, which is the 40 Hadith. This book is a book that is tremendous because this, these Hadith they highlight the principles of the Deen. They highlight the principles of the Deen. And it is incumbent that we become familiar with them so that we can learn the principles of our religion. So that we can learn the principles of our religion. So that we may implement. So that we may implement these principles. Because we will find that these principles then they will be a benefit for us in our deen and also in our dunya. Naam. It is incumbent that we become familiar with them. We are just finishing up the second hadith. The second hadith, the hadith, hadith Jibreel. After Jibreel alayhi salatu wasalam, he asked the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam about the about the signs of the hour. And after the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he answered him, Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, the narrator of this hadith, he mentions, thumman talaq, and then he left. Then Jibreel alayhi salatu wasalam, he left. So I stayed behind for some time. So I stayed behind for some time. And then he, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he said, Ya Umar, O Umar, Do you know who the questioner was? Do you know who the questioner was? Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu. He didn't know who the questioner was. So he responded with a appropriate response in this situation, in a situation where you don't know. So Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he said, فَقُلْتُ He said, قُلْتُ I said, Allah wa Rasuluhu a'lam Allah and His Messenger know best. Just stopping here briefly, the ulama, they mentioned that in the time of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, then this is appropriate response, especially when speaking to the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Allahu wa Rasuluhu a'lam, Allah and His Messenger know best. However, after the death of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, then it is proper and sufficient that a Muslim just say Allahu a'lam when they're in a situation that they don't know. When they're in a situation that they don't know, then they say Allahu a'lam. Allah knows best. Naam. However, in the time of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and when speaking to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, then it was extremely appropriate to say, Allahu wa Rasuluhu A'lam. Allah and His Messenger know best. Naam. So Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he said, Allahu wa Rasuluhu A'lam. Allah and His Messenger know best. Waqala Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, so the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he said, فَإِنَّهُ Jibreel أَتَاكُمْ يُعَلِّمُكُمْ دِينَكُمْ He said, verily, he was Jibreel. He came to you to teach you your religion. Then verily, he was Jibreel. He came to you to teach you your religion. Al-Alama, the Fadil to Shaykh, Shaykh Abdul Muhsin, Al-Abbad Al-Badr, Hafizahullahu Ta'ala, he mentions, he says, that the meaning of Maliyah, because Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he said, فَلَبِثُ مَلِيَّ So I stayed behind, فَلَبِثُ So I stayed behind, مَلِيَّ That the meaning of مَلِيًّ 
then this means a zamanan I stayed behind for some time that there was some time that had elapsed between the leaving of Jibreel and my departure so I stayed behind for some time فَقَدْ أَخْبَرَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ أَصْحَابَهُ عَنِ السَّائِلِ بِأَنَّهُ جِبْرِيلٌ إِقْبَى إِنْتِقَالِهِ The Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم See there comes other hadith where the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم He informed the companions who were present That it was Jibreel shortly after his departure Shortly after Jibreel departed the Prophet ﷺ, he informed the companions that it was Jibreel. Or after the departure of Jibreel, after he departed, the Prophet ﷺ, he informed them that that was Jibreel. Now, there comes other narrations that explain more in depth and detail what is meant by Labithu Maliya, I stayed behind for some time. Meaning that there was some time that had elapsed between the departure of Jibreel and between Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu being informed that it was Jibreel. Now that there was some time between the departure of Jibreel and between Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu being informed that it was Jibreel. So the ulama they mentioned that there comes other narrations that say that Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu he was informed or that the Prophet ﷺ, he informed him thalath. He informed him after three days. That three days had gone by before Umar was informed. So we understand from this that what should be properly understood from this narration is not that Jibreel والسلام, he left and then Umar who he stayed behind for some time and then before Umar left from that initial sitting that the Prophet وسلم, he informed him. But rather what is understood when you put the narrations together is that Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu after Jibreel departed that Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu he departed before the Prophet وسلم, informed the other companions who were there that that was Jibreel. So the Shaykh he mentions لا تنافي بين ذلك There is no Yani, um, this does not negate that. In other words, the fact that it took place upon this way, it does not negate what is being mentioned here. It does not negate the fact that the Prophet ﷺ, he informed Umar three days later. Why? Because it is clear, once you put the narration together, أَخْبَرَ النَّبِي وَلَمْ يَكُنْ عُمَرْ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ تَعَلَىٰ عَنْهُ مَعَهُمْ That the Prophet وسلم, he informed the people who were present يعني, and Umar wasn't with them. Why? Because Umar, he left before the Prophet وسلم, could inform him. So what's understood by Maliya, so I stayed behind Maliya, meaning I was informed later. So after some time, I was informed, meaning after some time, the Prophet وسلم, he said to me, Ya Umar, atadri man is sa'il, oh Umar, do you know who the questioner was? And as the other, other narration explains and highlights, then this was after three days. After three days. Why? Because Umar left after Jibreel left, but before the Prophet ﷺ explained or informed those who were present that it was Jibreel. So there were others from the Sahaba who knew it was Jibreel before Umar knew it was Jibreel.
because they were there. They stayed behind long enough for the Prophet ﷺ to inform them. However, three days later, three days later, the Prophet ﷺ, he said to Umar, Ya Umar, do you know who the questioner was? Do you know who was the, the questioner? So Umar, he said, Allah and his messenger know best. So then the Prophet ﷺ informed him that verily it was Jibreel. He came to you to teach you your religion. It was Jibreel. He came to to teach you your religion. Now, there are many benefits that we get from this hadith. There are many benefits that we get from this hadith. And it has to be highlighted that I encourage myself, I encourage everyone who hears my voice, to seek knowledge about the religion because because seeking or the the acquisition of knowledge is through its pursuit you have to seek knowledge you have to strive to learn you have to seek knowledge you have to strive to learn and you will be incapable of acquiring knowledge without pursuing it now it is incumbent that we pursue it it is incumbent that we learn about the fundamental affairs of our religion so that we may implement them, so that we have understanding of our religion, of our deen. It is incumbent if we want our lives to be enriched, that we learn about our religion. Because, you see, it is very heartbreaking to find individuals who would acknowledge in one breath that Naam, the deen is perfect. Islam is a perfect way of life. Way of life, yeah. I mean, and then would even reiterate the fact that Islam is not a religion in the sense uh, of Western uh, understanding of what a religion is. But rather, Islam is a way of life. It has guidance for us from the aspects and mannerisms and etiquettes of our toiletry all the way up to how we will run our governments and rectify society. And that which is more important, our connection and relationship to our Lord Jalla Wa'ala and the establishment of His rights, Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. Naam? And everything that is in the middle, we have guidance in the deen. We have guidance in the deen. So when things happen to us in our own personal lives or in the lives of others, then we know the answer is to apply the Islamic guidance for that particular affair. But we will be incapable of applying said guidance if we don't know what it is. Now, the troubles we go through in our lives, the struggles that we go through in our own personal lives, in our day-to-day -day lives, now, the solution, the answer, the cure is in the deen. But we have to know where it is. Now, it's like a person going to you and saying, oh, you're, you're suffering from the common cold, for example, or you're suffering from the flu. Now, and they'll point to you generically to a, a, a pharmacy and say, you'll find something that can help you in there. Okay, just knowing where it is doesn't benefit you if you don't know how to get it, if you don't know how to reach it, if you don't know how to take it, if you don't know how to apply it. It won't benefit you by just knowing, in general, the, the cure is over there somewhere. So just knowing that the cure is in the deen, now this is yeah, important. Right? But then we also have to know where it is, 
How do we get to it? How do we apply it? How does it fit this situation? So on and so forth. So it requires knowledge. It requires knowledge. There are some benefits that are extracted from this hadith. There are some benefits that are extracted from this hadith. The Shaykh he mentions, Shaykh Abdul Muhsin, he says, He said, and from that, and I want to highlight this because I don't want anyone to believe or, or to think that that these yani, uh, 12 points of benefit are the only points of benefit that could be extracted from this hadith. Naam. These are just 12 points of benefit that the, the shaykh, he wants to highlight. He wants to highlight. Naam. And hence, the verbiage, and from that, which is benefited from this hadith. Naam. Because this hadith has many benefits. Right? But I want you to understand that he's highlighting these 12. But this is not to be understood that these are the only 12 benefits. Okay? Okay? So there's still more to learn. There's still more to go over and so on and so forth. And I want to say that to say this as well. Seeking knowledge, it takes time. It takes time. It's not done just yani, all at once. But it's done over the course of days and the course of nights. Naam, over the course of days and day and, and, uh, and nights, meaning over time, it takes time. Just because you read one book on a subject doesn't make you, yani, an authority on that subject. You read one book on a subject. Now you are not a, you're not yani a specialist. You are not huh, on that particular subject, right? But rather, you would have to what study for years, read multiple, numerous books. On the same subject to gain a good well-grounded understanding we live in times and it could be because of the culture or, or yani the, the technological advances and that in the, in the world that we live in but everyone they're looking for instant gratification they want instant it's like a microwave a dawah they want microwave effect yani you understand they want they want to see i want the results now i want to see it now i read the person read one book and they and they get good you know how many people, yani, unfortunately, and they only cheat themselves, who will say the likes of, um, what is Sheikh so-and-so teaching? Right? They say, oh, Sheikh so-and-so, Sheikh Abdul Muslim, for example. What is Sheikh Abdul Muslim teaching right now? You say, oh, Sheikh Abdul Muslim, he's, he's teaching uh, the, the 40 hadith of Imam Novi. They'll say, oh, I studied that with Shir Uthameen. I don't have to, uh, you know, I can, I can skip this one. Yeah, subhanAllah. You will still benefit. You'll benefit from the fawaid, from the from 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 the explanation and, and the fruits that Sheikh Uthaymeen pointed you to, and you will benefit from the fruits that Sheikh Abdul Mersin pointed you to. I'll give you an example, a practical illustration you can imagine. When you have something that has so much fruits, so much treasures that are connected therein, and if you realize that it is not from wisdom, for a teacher. To divulge everything they know about a subject. Sheikh Saleh Abdul Aziz Ali Sheikh he mentions, he says, It is not from wisdom that a teacher will just spill everything he knows about a subject to his students. That's not from wisdom. Why? Because the students will be incapable of grasping all of it. They'll be incapable of grasping all of it. So therefore, their benefit will be a lot less because they will walk away overwhelmed. Now, it may cause confusion. Because knowledge, it comes in steps and in stages. 
You, you understand? The same way that when you're a little child, they don't teach you mathematics all at one time. They don't teach you mathematics all at one time. But you start with your basics. You start with your basics and then you move on to your pre-algebra. That's why it's pre-algebra before algebra. You don't just jump into algebra. Now, and then you move on and you move on and you move on. Why? Because each step, each stage builds on what came before it. Each step and each stage builds on what came before it. Now, and likewise, with and each step and each stage, it will build. So you have yani, that which is for the beginners. So you will mention to the beginners that which is appropriate for the beginners. You have that which is for those who are intermediaries and that which is who are reached the intermediate level. Then they, will, they would hear that which is on their level and that which are the advanced level, so on and so forth. But you don't mention advanced things to beginners because they won't understand it. It will go over their head. It will crush them. It will crush their spirit. It will crush their hopes. It will crush their desire to want to learn. They say it's too hard. I can't get it. You understand? Back to the illustration, right? I, I, <laughs> Back to the illustration. But let's say there was a tree and the tree had on it so many magnificent fruits hanging from it. Right? Numerous. Hundreds of fruits hanging from the tree. Okay? If you were to bring one person who was well aware and well and informed in that tree, they will draw your attention to certain fruits. They will draw your attention to certain fruits to meet the benefit. Right? Then if you bring someone else who was also well familiar with that tree, they also will draw your attention to certain fruits. There are going to be certain fruits that they will both equally draw your attention to. So there will be certain fruits that are commonly shared that one pointed you to and the other one showed it to you as well. But then you will find that there will be certain fruits that each of them will show you that the other one wouldn't mention. So this one will may show you these four, five, six fruits here to the right and some to the left that the other one he didn't show you those, but rather he showed you different fruits from another section. You understand? So the, so each scholar, they will mention benefits that the other one didn't mention. And then there will be certain common benefits that each will mention. And that's how you benefit from studying what Sheikh Uthameen presented in his explanation of 40 Hadith. And likewise, what Sheikh Abdul Mursin mentioned in his explanation of 40 Hadith. That's from one standpoint. Also from another standpoint... Not every scholar explains every book in the same exact way. You may have certain scholars that will explain the book more from the uh, 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 standpoint of extracting the principles as relates to those, those, those particular narrations. You may have another scholar go over those same narrations and they're more looking at the chain of the narrations, yani how they are authentic, what are, the, what are the biographies of the people inside of the chain, familiarity with the people inside of the chain, so on and so forth. And they may not mention a lot of, or they may not expound on a lot of the meanings that are contained inside of the hadith. But each is needed. You need to know if the hadith is authentic, who are the men in this chain, what are their backgrounds, what can be benefited from knowing what their backgrounds are. And you need to know what are the, what is the meaning of the hadith. Naam. What's the meaning of hadith? What, what points, what rules are extracted from this particular hadith? Then you may have another explanation that goes over the, 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 the rules and, 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 and excuse me, the general meaning of the hadith and so on and so forth. But it may be from a standpoint of lughri where you're also getting benefits from the language. Benefits from the standpoint of the language as well are being highlighted. So each approach requires its setting. You won't find a scholar doing all of this in one setting. It'll be overwhelming. 
But you'll find one may come at it from this standpoint, another one may come at it from that standpoint, another one may come at it from another standpoint. So it requires what? It requires a long time before you can say, yeah, I got that already. Because the reality of it is, is that even once you think you got it, that's when you really lost it. Now, as Sheikh Saleh Abdelaziz al-Sheikh, he mentions that a person who takes this attitude, they are those who have deprived themselves of much knowledge. That if you read a book and reread a book and reread a book and go over the same book, then this will increase you in your knowledge. Because the first reading, excuse me, because the second reading is not like the first reading and the third reading is not like the second reading, so on and so forth. How many times have we read through the Quran, yet still you'll read through the Quran and you'll come across an ayah as if you never saw it before. Subhanallah. As if you never saw it before. But you know you read it. Matter of fact, it may be a surah that you memorized, right? But you'll come across the ayah as if, subhanallah, as if I never, I, I didn't even, like I, like I never saw this before. But it's, a, but it's an ayah that you memorized. Why? Because it, it takes time. The first reading, or the second reading, is not like the first reading. The third reading is not like the second reading. So those who say, well, I've gone over that already. I don't need to redo it. Sheikh Saleh Abdaziz al-Sheikh, he mentions, they only cheat themselves. He said, because you're either going to discover what you, what you missed the first time when you go over it again, or you're going to be reinforced on what you have already accomplished and what you've already gathered. So either way you win. It's a win-win situation. You're going to increase your, your, your fortitude. You're going to increase in firmness as it relates to your knowledge in a particular issue. Or you may find certain little nuances and, and, and aspects that you missed the first time. That you missed the first time. So now you get the second time. And you know what? The third time, the same thing. You may find things on the third go-round you didn't see on the second time. And you might find things on the fourth go-round you didn't see on the third time. You had great scholars from the past that mentioned that they have read books, the same book, a hundred times. The same book, fifty times. So on and so forth. This is not. Uh, this is. This, this does not show a deficiency in one's intellect, but it shows you the richness of knowledge. It shows you the richness of the knowledge of this dean. That's what it shows you. Now that you can, you can keep coming back to it, and you still, you still gonna learn. This is why you find from the ulama they don't have this understanding as a lot of the ignorant people have. Well, I'm an expert on that. I, I read a few books, and now they start speaking as if they are authority on the subject. No, rather the ulama they share with you what they have while also acknowledging they're, they're always those who know more. I'm just sharing with you what I have. I'm only a student of knowledge sharing with you. You find great scholars speaking like this. So how sad is it to find those who are a fraction of those great scholars, the like of Imam al-Albani, who used to say all the time, I'm just a student of knowledge. I'm just a student of knowledge. But you have people who want to be experts. The, re the point I'm trying to say is that what? It takes time. It takes struggle. It takes sacrifice. You're not going to become an expert in a particular subject overnight. You're not going to reach these high levels just overnight or just because you read one book or because you memorized one metin from the mutun, one yani and the like. No, but it takes time. So the fact that individuals, unfortunately, will have a disregard from seeking knowledge and the ways of knowledge have a complete disregard for those who have sought knowledge, complete disregard for the ulama, so on and so forth, and now take it upon themselves to become the spokesman for certain things is just a sign of the sickness of the time that we live in. Ala kulli hal, there's a lot of benefits in this hadith. Shaykh Abdul Mursin, he mentions 
12. The first one he said, أَنَّ السَّائِلِ كَمَا يَسْأَلُ لِتَعَلُّمْ فَقَدْ يَسْأَلُ لِتَعْنِيمٍ He said, just like a person can ask a question because they're trying to learn, a person can also ask a question in order to teach. فَيَسْأَلُ مَنْ عِنْدَهُ عِلْمٌ بِشَيْءٍ مِنْ أَجْلِ أَنْ يَسْمَعَ الْحَاضِرِينَ الْجَوَابَ he said, so a person may ask a person something who they know has knowledge of it. You may ask someone a question who you know they, 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 they know. And you may ask them a question that you yourself already know the answer. Now, you may ask yani, something that you already know the answer. And you ask someone because you want those who are present to hear the answer. Now, for whatever reason, it could be from a, wis a wisdom that perhaps they won't take it from you for whatever reason or... Um, perhaps you want them to hear from other than yourself, right? Um, or, or perhaps you think it may come across better or that the person may uh, articulate it and explain it better than you could explain it and so on and so forth. It could be for a, a, a number of reasons. You can ask a person a question that you already know the answer to, but you want other people to hear the answer. So in that sense, you come your... Yani, your disposition is 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 of that of a questioner but in reality what you are a teacher you are a teacher because you are the source by way in which the information is being disseminated so you are teaching these people by way of your question right so we learn that from this hadith that that just like you can ask to learn you can also ask to teach just like you can ask to learn you can also ask to teach and this here is an is uh, we 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 benefit from this by by knowing that um, teaching is not all one way. There's not just one methodology for teaching, but there are numerous methodologies for teaching. And for those who study and reflect over the hadith and of the prophetic way and his, yani, and how he taught, they'll be able to extract many beneficial methodologies of learning, all derived from the Prophet wasallam. But rather, I will argue that all of the good ways of learning. All of the good methodologies of learning that are being utilized inside of the school systems now, presently, you will find them all in the in the Sunnah of the Prophet wasallam. The Prophet wasallam, he taught mankind this. Now, so as Muslims, of course, you know where's our jealousy? You know we should be at the heads of all things knowledge, all things of benefit. The second thing is that, and then malaika. Then verily the angels This is a very important point, second point, second benefit. Is that the that the angels when they come, they take they they transform from their original image. They transform their from their original structure. Now, so they don't come in their original shape, but they adorn themselves with other different shapes. They come to human beings in the in the form of human beings. They come to human beings in the form of human beings. Now. And it's very important for us to yani, to know that the malaika, when they come to human beings, they come looking like human beings. There are some 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 yani, um, wisdoms and benefits why this is. 
that I'll, I'll mention shortly, inshallah. The Shaykh, he mentions, he says, and there is not in this, وَلَيْسَ فِي هَذَا دَلِيلٌ عَلَى جَوَازِ التَّمْثِيلِ And there is not in this a proof for the permissibility of تَمْثِيلِ Naam. What is meant by تَمْثِيلِ here, and the Shaykh, he says, أَلَّتِي أَشْتَهَرَ فِي هَذَا الزَّمَانِ That تَمْثِيلِ or أَلَّذِي يعني أَشْتَهَرَ فِي هَذَا الزَّمَانِ That تَمْثِيلِ that is well known today. The Shaykh, he's talking about Yani theatrical portrayals, naam, or a theatrical performance, or for lack of a better term, acting. Naam. This is not this is not show that it is permissible to act and to portray something, right? Um, of which is well known today. He said, because there is a degree of lying when it comes to the theater. There's a type of lying that's associated with the theater, and a type of lying is associated with acting. Now, I mean, that's just well known. You have an individual who could be yani, one of the most uh, uh, dull-witted of individuals upon the face of the planet. And then they're portraying a character who is from the most intelligent of individuals. This is a lie. You know, he's making it seem like he is what he's not. Yani, um, a person, yani, is not a doctor, but then he takes a role in their character as a doctor. And now he acts as if he is a doctor. Now, so this has a nur, yani, nurun milikidib. This has a degree of lying to it. Okay? So, this hadith and the fact that the angels come looking like men, this is not a delil that you can now become an actor and you know, put on these theatric performances, so on and so forth, because you are lying. You're acting like you're Hamza, you know, you wrote the law and you ain't Hamza. Right? To the end. What is the wisdom then? A person may say, well, well what's the wisdom? Why, why are the angels, they come like this? Well, firstly, is that the Sheikh he mentions. He says that what happened... Yani, with Jibreel, the situation, he came looking like a human being, is because yani, this was by the permission of Allah and by yani, Allah's decree. It's by Allah's, yani, uh, by, by the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah ta'ala gave him that ability to do that. Naam. So this is why he came like that, because this was by Allah's decree, that he come like that, looking like a human being. Naam. But there's wisdom. The ulema, they mentioned that from the wisdom that the angels, they come looking like humans. They said because humans typically are startled by things that are drastically different than themselves. Human beings, they are startled by things that are drastically different than themselves. The angels in their original form, they are drastically different from human beings. So if the human were to see an angel in, the, in his original form, it will, yani, the opportunity of transmitting any type of information will be lost. Why? Because everyone will, will be filled with fear. They would have ran. They would have ran away out of fear. You understand why? Because now a being that's totally different from yourself, clearly not a human being, has entered into where you're at. Your first reaction will be to run. Because you will be so startled and overwhelmed by the appearance of this creature. So the Ulema, they say, this is from the reasons and from the wisdoms why the angels, when they come, they come looking like humans. They come looking like humans. Because it's more appropriate due to the creatures they're going to. Because they're going to humans. Now, so that's more appropriate for humans. Also, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-An'am, in Surah Al-An'am, Allah ta'ala, He explains to us. In answering, yani, or in refuting the claim of the, of the, uh, of the kuffar, Allah ta'ala, He says, وَقَالُوا لَوْ لَوْ لَا أُنزِلَ عَلَيْهِ مَلَكِ 
and the Kufardis are saying only if an angel would have come down. Like, oh, if, if an angel came to him, then we'll believe. Yeah, yeah, oh, subhanAllah. In reality, it is, we know the obstinate, the people who are obstinate, then even with this, they'll still find a way to say, oh, that was magic, or that was, yeah, they sorcery, or something like that. They, they still wouldn't believe. You understand? That's, that, that is the reality of the obstinate nature, the, uh, 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 you know, the obstinate soul, and, and the like. They say, and only if, and, and only if an angel could come down unto him. Allah Ta'ala, he explains to them, if we sent down an angel looking like an angel, then the affair is done. If we sit down an angel looking like an angel, then the affair is over. Whoever's going to be punished, going to be punished. That's it. The angel's going to come down and they're going to punish who they're going to punish and that's it. And Allah Ta'ala, he goes on and he says, And then there will be no respite. There will be no chance for them. If an angel were to come down looking like an angel... Right? So you, you you tell people, watch what you're asking for. If an angel were to come down looking like an angel, the affair would have been over. They would have been punished. There would be no time for respite. None. Allah Ta'ala, He goes on to say, And if we were to send down an angel, then we will make him a man. We'll make him look like a man. And if we were to send down an angel, then we, then we will make him look like a man. And we would have adorned him and clad him with that which the human beings adorn and clad themselves with. Now, why? From the wisdoms, and what was, what was aforementioned, from the wisdoms is that what? Is that if they came looking like an angel, then people would got scared. So, so therefore, they would have come looking like a human being, and that which is what familiar to human beings. So we, so he would have come, yani looking and, and clad and clothed with that which human beings wear as clothing. Naam. So this is another yani benefit that we get from this tremendous uh, hadith. Well, also, thirdly, bayan adab al mutaallim and muallim. Naam. Also, we have the proper etiquette of the student with the teacher. We have the proper etiquette of the student with the teacher. And that is, is that the student, when you're with your teacher, you have to come forward in a manner that is respectful. You have to come forward in a manner that is a manner of respect. Not a manner of arrogance, not a manner of challenging, but you come forth in a manner that shows humbleness. Now, because you're seeking from this teacher that which you do not have. So therefore, as relates to this particular affair, then yes, the teacher is superior to you because you're going to him to learn. Now, so then, therefore, you have to present yourself with the mannerisms that are appropriate for that situation, from humbleness and the like. Not arrogance, not obstinance, not coming forth in an overly challenging manner, and so on and so forth, but you have to come forward humbly. And therefore, we see this in how Jibreel, alayhi salatu wasalam, he came to, to the... Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam in the in the yani, disposition of a student, so he came very humbly. 
putting his knees to his knees, placing his hands upon his hands, and very respectfully asking questions. Very respectfully asking questions. Ram. Also, we learned from this as well, the ulama they point out, in the fact that Jibreel alayhi salatu salam, although he came in the form, or he came yeah, in the disposition of a, of a student, in actuality, he was teaching. In actuality, he was teaching. They also draw from that, yani edip, on how the teacher should be, in the sense that Jibreel, alayhi salatu salam, as described in the hadith, when he came, he had exceedingly white clothes. Shadidun biyadu wa shadidun sawadu sha'ar. And he had extremely black hair. Which means that what he came in a very beautiful manner. He came, he was well groomed. He came, he was clean. Right? He came, he was he was well groomed. Naam. That what? That the teacher, when they present themselves and when they teach, they should be well groomed. You should not go in front of people and try to teach them and you are disheveled. You should not go in front of people trying to teach them and your clothes are extremely filthy. You should not go in front of people and trying to teach them and just the, the manner in which you are dressed is so appalling yani, to the viewer that just from the way you look, they don't want, they're not interested in hearing anything that you may have to offer. But rather the teacher should present themselves and, and they should be very clean, they should be very neat, they should be well groomed, so on and so properly dressed, so on and so forth. This is from the, the characteristics and the mannerisms that the teacher should have. Yeah, the Muslims, we are people of manners. We are people of fine manners and true etiquette. Okay? It is incumbent that we understand and we remember that we are representational. We are representatives. Now we are representatives of the deen. Whether we like it or not, people are going to look at us and they're going to ultimately judge what we're upon based upon how we our presentations. Naam, those presentations that are visual, those presentations that are audible, so on and so forth, to the end of it. So it is incumbent that we understand this and that we do not put ourselves or, or, or project such a bad image so as to give a bad image to the deen. That this is what your religion teaches? That you act like this? No, Muslims, we're supposed to have the best manners naam? and this are from the things that we should be translating to mankind teaching to mankind showing to mankind illustrating to mankind the best manners the best manners period the best etiquettes period across the board there should never be a situation that a kafir can outdo you as relates to manners or etiquette never never and of course i mean those manners and those etiquettes that are in compliance with the, with, 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 with the book and the sunnah. I mean those manners and those etiquettes that are in compliance with the book and the sunnah. There should be nothing from what is really in reality and in fact good manners. That a kafir should ever beat the Muslims as relates to it. But rather the Muslims should be the first to be upon these excellent manners. In every situation. Every situation. Naam? So we find this here again. That... We are shown the proper, you know, something, Yanni. We are shown a piece or something from the proper manners, mannerisms of the students and of the teacher. Fourth benefit that we gained 
or that the Shaykh wants to highlight. Is that when the words Islam and Iman are mentioned in the same context, when they're mentioned together, then Islam will be explained by the apparent actions. Naam. Yufassarul Islam bil umur al-zahira. Then Islam is explained by the apparent actions. And Iman is explained by the internal actions. So when they come together, then Islam means those apparent actions. And Iman means those internal actions. Naam. But when they are separated, but when they are separated, right, then each will encompass the meaning of the other. When they are separated, then each will encompass the meaning of the other. Does that make sense? Naam? Fifth point of benefit. Al-Bad'u bil-Aham fal-Aham is to begin with that which is most important and then to go to it, then to go to what follows it in importance. So there is a prioritization, prioritization in dawah. There's a prioritization in learning. There's a prioritization in, 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 right? So you begin with that which is most important, and then you go to that which follows it in importance. Because the Prophet ﷺ, he began by mentioning the shahadatain when explaining what is Islam. He began with the shahadatain because that is what the most important. And then he went to that which follows it in importance from the salah and, and, and to the end of it. Naam, right. وَبُودِيَ بِالْإِيمَانِ بِاللَّهِ فِي التَّفْسِيرِ الْإِيمَانِ And when he was asked, when the Prophet ﷺ was asked about what is Iman, he began by mentioning Allah. So he began with the most important aspect. He began with that which is most important. Now, the deen of al-Islam, this is another benefit that we learn and is extracted from this hadith. And this is a concept and a protocol that we should apply, or yani we should yeah, we should apply in all of our lives. When we look at the da'wah, the da'wah al-Islamiyyah, we look at the Islamic call, the Islamic da'wah, we know that the da'wah, the da'wah al-Islamiyyah, here a da'wah al-Islamiyyah, that the Islamic da'wah, then it is a da'wah of rectification. It is a reform da'wah. Naam is a, is a, is a, it is a reform, is that which will reform societies. Naam. Now I want you to, to, to reflect upon that. And I want you to contemplate upon that. Especially in these times, in these days in which we're living in, where we're seeing all of this strife. We're seeing all of this turmoil on the side of the land. We're seeing all of this oppression. We're seeing all of this racism, bigotry, and the ill fruits that result from it, from those, from those, from those evil and poisonous trees and lands and so on and so forth, now and grounds and that. Um, and, and, and I want you to reflect. Reflect on the problems that existed with the Quraysh with, and with the, the Arab of Jahiliyyah and with the people of Jahiliyyah. 
those people who the Prophet وسلم, he was sent to. They were people who they were oppressive. They oppressed each other. They were oppressive to women. They were oppressive to children. They used to kill children. They used to kill babies. They were people who were given to alcohol. They were people who were given to lewdness. They were people who were given to not dressing properly. As is well known. They used to make tawaf around the Kaaba naked. No clothes. No clothes. And they had a, and they had an excuse for it. Which shows you the nature of human beings when they when they when they do evil, they will they will try any way to justify it. Now they had an excuse for it. Their excuse was the clothes that we had on when we were sinning are not befitting that we wear when we're making tawaf. So since we were sinning when we made these clothes and we shouldn't wear no clothes that we were sinning in and making tawaf, so therefore we gotta make tawaf naked. That was their reasoning. Right, and if you go to the reasoning of 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 any any of these people who dress in an improper manner and they're not clad properly in our day and time, they have all these reasons. It's hot outside, so we're wearing this, uh, you know, little strips of clothing. It's my freedom; I have the right to whatever the case is. I am progressive. Yeah, all these wonderful articulations to try to justify their filth. In any event that was present. Right? You know, to the end of it. Murder. Murder. Somebody can get murdered and maybe nothing will happen to them, no consequences. Right? Uh uh, you know, lawlessness. There was a degree of lawlessness that was that that, that was there. So on and so forth. So on and so forth, right? Corruption, you know, and, and all its levels. There were a lot of problems there. But how did the Prophet Sallallahu how did he go to them to to rectify them? You know, remember we all say Islam is the answer. We all say whatever problems and situations going on in the world, Islam is a solution. We all say that. And then things happen and we don't apply the solution. Then things happen and, and we're impatient. We can't, yeah, you understand? It, it really doesn't make any sense. Did the Prophet go to the Quraysh and do the things that we're seeing that people are doing now when they're saying they want change? Or did he go to them doing something else? Hmm. That's just food for thought. I mean, you think about that. You reflect on that. Inshallah ta'ala. Do your research. Inshallah ta'ala. The Prophet Sallallahu he began with that which was most important and he went to that which follows in importance. Because this is what brings about true change. This is what brings about true change. I mean, each, each, each person looked to themselves. Okay? I, like many people who accepted Islam, will all tell you the same thing or something similar. Is that prior to being a Muslim, I was a totally different person than who I am right now today. Prior to being a Muslim, I was a totally different person than who I am today. It is as if I lived a no another lifetime because that seems so far removed to who I am right now. Okay? So that which has rectified you, brought rectification to you as an individual. I want you to think about that. What has brought you as an individual rectification and going from those extremes 
that many of us went 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 from from one extreme you know you know we used to be far out there now to come to the balance as muslims that that that, that allah ta'ala he has blessed us with and guided us to and given us the success in being upon coming now to this balance coming now to this balance what brought you from that state to, to here what brought you what rectified you as an individual you will find it all started with la ilaha illallah it all started with you recognizing and acknowledging allah subhanahu wa ta'ala it all started with you acknowledging and striving to yani, fix your relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Believe properly, believing properly in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, believing properly in his messengers, believing properly in the, in, in the messenger which you sent to mankind, submitting yourselves to it, being compliant to it. It all started there. And I want you to reflect upon this. If that had not happened to you, would you have been reformed? You as a person, you just one person, would you have been reformed without that? And we all know the answer is no. So then how in the world do you think a society can be reformed without it? If you as one person couldn't be reformed without it, then how could a society that contains a massive amount, millions of people can be reformed without it? Again, it's just food for thought. We say Islam is the answer, but are we applying the answer? We say Islam is the answer. Are we looking for the answer in the deen if we don't know what it is? If we don't know where it is, are we looking for that answer? Or are we trying to co-opt other people's protocols and then find a justification for it? Why am I going to need another man's protocol to find an answer and a solution when the solution has already been revealed? To the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Again, it's just food for thought. Do your research. Bithnilahi ta'ala. Ala kullihan. Sixth point is that. وَأَنَّ الْأَرْكَانِ islam خَمْسَ Is that the pillars of Islam. Then they are five. وَأَنَّ أُصُولِ الْإِيمَانِ سِتَّ and that the and that the foundations or yani the articles of faith, then they are six. The articles of faith are six. We learn that here from this hadith. Seventh, وَأَنَّ الْإِيمَانَ بِأُصُولِ الْإِيمَانِ السِّتَّةِ مِنْ جُمْلَةِ الْإِيمَانِ بِالْغَيْبِ and that the iman in the six articles of faith in general is derived from iman. In the unseen. So in other words, if a person says that they believe yeah, uh, that they believe in the unseen and they truly believe in the unseen, then by default they what they will believe in the six articles of Iman because the six articles of Iman are what are from the unseen. They are from the unseen, having faith in the unseen. Naam? They are from having faith in the unseen. That makes sense? Okay. Eighth. بيان التفاوت بين الإسلام والإيمان والإحسان is that we've been shown in this hadith that there is a difference in level between Islam and Iman and Ihsan that is that that we have Islam and then what's better is Iman and then what is better is Al-Ihsan so there is levels 
there is levels right and that and that's important for us to know i mean you know it's important for us to know so that we can personally strive for something it's important to have goals right it's important to have goals so to strive to reach that level of ihsan that high level of ihsan then this is something that all of us we should be undertaking this is a pursuit that all muslims should be undertaking ma'am and a lot of times when you find an imbalance in, in, in people and so on and so forth, you'll find it's because their priorities are all scattered. You'll find it's because their goals are all scattered, so on and so forth. They don't know whether they're coming or whether they're going, and that just results in chaos in their life. That results in chaos in their life. And how you can structure your life, how you can structure your life, and yani, you know, live, like they say, live your best life, okay? How are you going to do that? is by striving by striving right by striving to reach that high level of ihsan by striving to reach that high level of ihsan which as aforementioned in the previous class you will you you will be incapable of reaching it without knowledge without having knowledge of the deen about having knowledge of the aqidah knowledge of the minhaj without having a deep a deep man a profound knowledge of allah's names and his attributes Naam so on and so forth this this is needed without this you're, you're not going to be able to reach that level of of of, uh, of ihsan you're not going to be able to reach that level of al ihsan now after knowing that then the question becomes now what is your roadmap what is your roadmap to acquire the skills needed to reach said level what's your roadmap okay because we have to learn about our Lord. We have to learn about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We have to learn and study about Tawheed. Tawheed al-Rububiyyah. Wa Tawheed al-Uluhiyyah. Wa Tawheed al-Asma'i wa-Sifat. We have to learn about the Asma'i wa-Sifat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. How many of Allah's names do you, could, could, could you just say? Could you, could you rattle right off the yeah, on top of your head right now? How many of Allah's names could you rattle off the top of your head? Just the name. Just the name. Okay, now, how many of those names in which you can rattle off the top of your head, could you explain the meaning of the name? Could you explain the meaning of the name? Okay, right, so on and so forth. So this, so this is to show us what, that we, we're really not where we should be, right? And, it's, and also to show some of us that we really don't even know where we should be going. So now, what's the roadmap? What are you going to do to get that information? What are you going to do to get that? What are you going to do to increase and to enhance your Iman? What steps? What are you going to do? What book are you going to study? What book? Which books are you going to study to learn this information properly? Huh? What books are you going to study? That's the question. Do you know which books? These are all questions. These are all just food for thought. You understand? Because some of us, unfortunately, we have the arrogance that we think we have arrived. And, and the reality of it is, is that we don't even know where we should be going, let alone, yeah, they have reached a destination. Anyway, knowing that there are levels, knowing and striving for these high levels, it will bring much balance to your life. It will enrich your life. It will enrich your life, undoubtedly. And explanate the ninth point, the ninth benefit. Is yani, uh, clearly showing the high level of Ihsan, how Ihsan is such a high, outstanding uh, level that we all should be striving for, all of us. Now, 10th point, 
is that uh, also we learn that the knowledge of the hour is something in which Allah Ta'ala has kept to himself. Allah Ta'ala has kept it to himself. That is hidden from uh, the creation. Jibreel, alayhi salatu salam, the best angel, he doesn't know. And Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the best human being, he doesn't know. Okay? So this is something that is hidden and only Allah Ta'ala, he knows it. Eleven, bayan, shay'in min amarat sa'a is an explanation of some of the um, uh, some of the signs of the hour. It's an explanation of some of the signs of the hour. Some of the signs of the hour, right? So in that we learn that 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 the day of judgment has signs. There are certain things that are going to take place. Certain events are going to happen prior to the day of judgment. Naam. So we benefit from that. So we benefit from that. And then twelfth, the twelfth highlighting point. That the Sheikh he wants to highlight the twelfth benefit that the Sheikh he wants to highlight, then that is is the statement of the person who was asked and they're asked about something that they don't know, then they should say, Allah knows best. Allahu a'lam. That when you don't know something, then you say, Allahu a'lam. Naam. So never try to to yeah, I mean, to guess when it comes to you know situations like that, never never try to guess, never try to just to make something up to, to seemingly save face and so on and so forth. But always come forward with that humility, always come forward with that humbleness. Naam. always always strive to stay to run away from those traces of arrogance and so on and so forth. So that if you don't know, take pride in saying Allahu A'lam, I don't know. And be happy about that, because in that, yani, this is a, 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 a this is a bushra. This is a, a glad tiding for you that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala He has guided you, He has guided you to a, He has guided you and given you you the success of knowing when you don't know, and of having the courage and the humility to say I don't know when you don't know, and has given you to says to the the success and. Bringing forth that statement of I don't know when you don't know. And these are all signs of a person who has been guided. So so be happy. If somebody asks you something you don't know, be happy to say Allahu A'lam. I don't know. I don't know. Naam. Because this is from those outstanding characteristics that we are taught uh, in the deen. And then the Shaykh, he goes on to get into the next hadith. The third hadith of Arba'in and Nawawiyah. But inshallah ta'ala, we will save that into the next class. That's Allah ta'ala, and you will fiqhini wa iyaakum, lima yuhibbuhu wa yarullah, wa yaj'alna mubarakan haythu ma kunna, wa yaj'alna minman idha u'tiya shakar, wa dhubutulia sabar, wa idha ethnaba staghfar, fa inna haulai thalath, unwanu sa'ada, hada ya ibad, ila liqa, until next time we meet. Estawdirukumullah. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Zakum Allah khair.